If we have had even one conversation, maybe even one sentence this morning, you will already know this about me. I hate daylight savings. Becoming clergy and having children and dogs has deepened my loathing of the practice, but long before them, I had deep contempt for daylight savings. There is a meme that I share annually that perfectly sums up my feelings. It is a picture of the six-fingered man from The Princess Bride, the Count, who tortures the protagonist, Wesley. In the movie and on the meme, he says, we've just sucked one hour of your life away. Tell me, how do you feel? Every year or two, I go on a Google rabbit hunt, trying to understand why in God's name we do this thing. And well, it's in the name, right? To save daylight. There are various origin stories for why we do this. Some go back as far as Benjamin Franklin, who is said to have started it to save whale oil, which was how lamps were lit back in the day. What we know for sure is that Oregon passed this into law in 1962, and then it was passed federally in 1966 as a way to match our working hours with the earlier sunrise in the summertime. Since then, we've extended summer hours, and in 2019, some lovely heroes, from my perspective, in the Oregon House and Senate passed a law to keep Oregon on daylight savings time year-round. Year-round, no time change. That's what I object to, is a change, because I'm a proper Episcopalian. Unfortunately, while we could stay on standard time year-round, like Arizona, we can't stay on daylight savings without an act of Congress. And you know, Congress has bigger fish to fry these days. So we keep on changing the time in the spring and the fall. It feels especially strange right now, while we are on these stay-at-home orders and our relationship with time is so strange. Though I know that some look forward to the change, I for one will spend the next week grumbling that I'm getting up at six and not seven, and that my phone is wrong. Whether we love it or hate it, whether we have tried legislatively to get rid of it, it is a tradition that we continue because somehow we've all agreed to keep doing it. We are used to it. We can get used to a lot of things. Though time is different in the Bible, it appears that the Israelites were enslaved for about 100 years. They sweat and toiled and struggled, and they prayed. They begged God to free them. So God sends Moses, an unlikely leader, to rescue them. Moses goes to Pharaoh to, and asks the Pharaoh to free the people that they may worship God. When Pharaoh doesn't relent, Aaron and Moses turn the Nile into blood. And then the Pharaoh retreats into the palace and ignores it. Moses demands freedom again. And when the Pharaoh ignores him again, come the frogs. They are everywhere. They are impossible to ignore. Finally, the Pharaoh relents because there are frogs everywhere. Once the frogs die, though, his heart is hardened again. So continue the plagues, right? Gnats or lice, 
flies, a pestilence on the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn children. And finally, the Pharaoh relents and the people are freed. But then Pharaoh changes his mind and sends the military. When the Israelites, and when the Israelites are trapped between the military and the Red Sea, when it looks like surely they will die, Moses parts the Red Sea and the Israelites travel through on dry land. Sometime after this is where today's story from Numbers appears. We very seldom use readings from Numbers and this is certainly a strange one. The Israelites have escaped slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea. They are in the wilderness and they are tired of the journey. Remember, in the end, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. So most of the people who escaped slavery will never see the promised land, including Moses. As they often do, they complain that Moses has led them out of slavery only to die in the wilderness. For there is no food and no water and we detest this miserable food, they cry. There's either food or there's not, but I digress. Holy Scripture has been passed down generation to generation so that we may learn how to be in relationship with God. And if you read this story with that lens, you know, you know that bad things are on the horizon. You don't get to talk back, talk back to God and get good results. If this is a horror movie, this is where the innocent blonde is headed down into the basement and you want to say, no, don't go, don't go. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died, it says. I learned this week that the word here for serpent is seraphim, as in the seraphim and the cherubim. Do you remember what the seraphim and the cherubim are? Oh, you're proper Episcopalians, you're not going to respond to me. Angels, right? The seraphim and the cherubim are angels. And apparently, the cherubim are lions with wings, and the seraphim are snakes with wings. So God sends seraphim, serpents or angels or both, to punish the people for being disrespectful, ungrateful. But they cry to Moses and he appeals to God. And God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a stick. And any time the people are bitten, have them look at it so that they may live. The serpents are the result of sin. The people's sins are coming to bite them. And to be healed, they must look their sins in the face. It's a strange story. And the kind of story that makes us say things like, I don't believe in the Old Testament God, right? But if we reorient our thinking to understand that these divinely inspired scriptures were kept to teach us, it could be that our spiritual ancestors wanted us to know that sin, the things which we put between us and God, will ultimately kill us. And that we find our way back to life by looking at those snakes, by examining our sins. Later, Jesus carries this message through in his time, telling us that like the bronze serpent, the Son of Man, Jesus, 
must be lifted up for us to look at and be healed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. In the Old Testament and in the New, over and over, God frees, rescues, loves, and gives life. It is God's never-ending love letter to us. And because we are human, because we have free will, sometimes we will choose other things than God. And sometimes these choices will lead us so far away that our tether to life and love feels strained. We can get used to that. We can get used to even the worst circumstances so that change is so uncomfortable that we turn back to the thing that is killing us. God loved the people so much that they were spectacularly rescued from slavery, and still it isn't long before they bemoan their freedom. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Sometimes what is best requires us to look the snake right in the face, to fully examine our sin. And when a snake has mortally wounded us, it may take everything we have to choose to look at it. What are the sins you'd rather die for than deal with? What sins are so painful that facing them feels like too much? In the last year, we have seen so much loss. It was a year ago that our bishop suspended in-person worship. It was such a scary moment that we couldn't even be honest about what it meant. We told ourselves and one another that we were pausing for a brief moment so that we could get ahead of a global pandemic. It was naive, and most of us knew that even then. In the months to come, we would stay home while essential workers continued to go and serve us and keep the world turning. We would learn how silly it was to hoard toilet paper, flour, yeast, beans, and gas because grocery stores and gas stations stayed open. Slowly, we learned how to do life in a different way, but not before we got a glimpse of who the people were who were most vital to keeping things going. And in many cases, it wasn't the people who make the most money. For a brief moment, we celebrated those folks, first responders, grocery store employees, and people who worked in farming were lumped together as frontline employees, and we made signs thanking them. Some of them even got hazard pay, but that didn't last long. It wasn't long before those folks began to feel that essential meant expendable. We had to respond to COVID, and our response exposed deep injustice that had existed for long before 2020. And the collective anxiety we were experiencing bubbled over in other places too. We stopped being able to ignore the inadequacy of living on unemployment and unlivable wage. We stopped being able to ignore, we could no longer ignore the people teetering on the edge of houselessness even as we withdrew services for the unhoused. 
the child care crisis in this country made it even to the middle class, uh, long protected by public school and after school programs. COVID revealed that a lack of medical insurance was not a problem just for an individual, but for all of us as a contagious illness wended its way through, killing disp disproportionately our black and brown siblings, but indiscriminately for all classes, races, and ages. This pause revealed many of the unknown sins that we confess every week in a way that we could previously avoid with privilege and busyness. As we get vaccinated and orders ease, we will begin to circulate in larger patterns. We have an opportunity to create a more just rhythm. And that begins with an honest look at the sins that are killing us. The amount of work to be done can be paralyzed, paralyzing, or we can pick a place to start. At Trinity, this has meant examining our racial history. What sin kept and keeps our black, black and brown siblings out of this beautiful cathedral, and how does that sin continue to break us down? The Israelites who couldn't or wouldn't look died. Jesus went up on that stick so that when we looked at our sins, it would be the loving gaze of God looking back at us. God blessing and encouraging so that we could face our own sins and keep them from breaking us down any further. But feeling the love of God freely and abundantly given requires us to examine our own sin. It is impossible to raise our heads to God's light when the poison of sin bows our shoulders. The likelihood is that the church is used to the sin that keeps us where we are, and that changing will be uncomfortable. Even where we make the right choices, the sin we are used to, the sin that is killing us, may be the place we long to be. Prayer will help us through, but not prevent discomfort. In fact, for some of us, we will not see the church arrive at the promised land, but instead experience only the wilderness of wondering if we are headed the right direction. COVID was not sent by God, but it is a plague that has given us time to look and see things that are killing us. We can keep dying or we can get busy living as a people and as a church. While I feel grumbly passion about the tired tradition of time change, the real tradition that needs elimination is white supremacy. Let us see the connectedness that we all have. Let's overcorrect and push the needle that people long oppressed have more freedom, better health care, greater resources. Let's make sure that the wealthiest nation in the world provides at least, at least the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the fundamental parts of life that allow us to function as full humans. And let us in the church do the same. Let us face our sin. Let us look at what has brought us to this place and overcorrect. Push the needle so that people who aren't here, who won't come here, so that they find a place in the church.
Let us see our connectedness and find that our tether to God is strengthened when we see God in the faces of people who have not been welcome here. When we see the full diversity of God in the varied complexion of creation. Lent is a time for self-examination as we prepare once more for the resurrection of God. It is a time to look at our dusty traditions and at the staircases that we have built on sin. It is a time when we look those serpents in the face so that we can be healed fully and stand straighter. May we take this pause in the world and this last stretch before we are all vaccinated to breathe, pray, and make space for the Holy Spirit to create something new in the place of what was here before. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill in the cracks and make us whole. Help us to change things that need changing and to stop changing things that don't. And walk with us through the discomfort as we head toward the promised land. Amen. <laughs>